Welcome to Intellects, a place for entrepreneurs. This is season two, episode 13, and we're going to be talking about a true visionary in her own right, Maya Angelou. Now let's get right into this. Maya Angelou was born Marguerite Annie Johnson, April 4th, 1928. She was an American poet, memoirist, and civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and it is credited with a list of plays, movies, and television shows spanning over 50 years. She received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. Angelou is best known for her series of seven autobiographies, which focus on her childhood and early adult experiences. The first, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, tells her life up until the age of 17 and brought her international recognition and acclaim. She became a poet and writer after a string of odd jobs during her young adulthood. These include a fry cook, sex worker, nightclub performer, Porgy and Best cast member, Southern Christian Leadership Conference Coordinator, and correspondent in Egypt and Ghana during the decolonization of Africa. She was also an actress, writer, director, and producer of plays, movies, and public television programs. In 1982, she was named the first Reynolds Professor of American Studies at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She was active in the civil rights movement and worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Beginning in the 1990s, she made approximately 80 appearances a year on the lecture circuit, something she continued into her 80s. In 1993, she recited her poem on the Pulse of Mourning at the first inauguration of Bill Clinton, making her the first poet to make an inaugural recitation since Robert Frost at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy in 1961. With the publication of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, she publicly discussed aspects of her personal life. She was respected as a spokesperson for black people and women, and her works have been considered a defense of black culture. Her works are widely used in schools and universities worldwide, although attempts have been made to ban her books from some US libraries. Angelou's most celebrated works have been labeled as autobiographical fiction, but many critics consider them to be autobiographies. She made a deliberate attempt to challenge the common structure of the autobiography by critiquing, changing, and expanding the genre. Her books center on themes including racism, identity, family, and travel. So when it comes to her career, in 1951, she married Tosh Angelos, a Greek electrician, former sailor, and aspiring musician, despite the condemnation of interracial relationships at the time 
and the disapproval of her mother. She took modern dance classes during this time and met dancers and choreographers Alan Ailey and Ruth Beckford. Ailey and Angelou formed a dance team calling themselves Al and Rita and performed modern dance at fraternal black organizations throughout San Francisco, but never became successful. Her, her new husband, and her son moved to New York City so she could study African dance with Trinidadian dancer Pearl Primus, but they returned to San Francisco a year later. Her marriage ended in 1954, but after that, she danced professionally in clubs around San Francisco, including the nightclub The Purple Onion, where she sang and danced the Calypso music. Up to that point, she went by the name of Marguerite Johnson, or Rita. But at the strong suggestion of her managers and supporters at The Purple Onion, she changed her professional name to Maya Angelou. It was a distinctive name that set her apart and captured the feel of her Calypso dance performances. During 1954 and 1955, she toured Europe with the production of the opera Porgy and Bess. She began her practice of learning the language of every country she visited and in a few years gained proficiency in several languages. In 1957, riding the popularity of Calypso, she recorded her first album, Miss Calypso, which was reissued as a CD in 1996. She also appeared in an off-Broadway review that inspired the 1957 film Calypso Heatwave, where she sang and performed her own compositions. She met novelist John Oliver Killens in 1959 at his urging, moved to New York to concentrate on her writing career. She joined the Harlem Writers Guild where she met several major African-American authors, including John Hendrick Clark, Rosa Guy, Paul Marshall, and Julian Mayfield, and was published for the first time. In 1960, after meeting civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. and hearing him speak, she and Killens organized the legendary Cabaret for Freedom to benefit the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and was named their Northern Coordinator. According to scholar Lyman B. Hagan, her contributions to civil rights as a fundraiser and SCLC organizer were successful and eminently effective. She also began her pro-Castro and anti-apartheid activism during this time. She had joined the crowd cheering for Fidel Castro when he entered the first, the Hotel Teresa in Harlem, New York, during United Nations 15th General Assembly on September 19, 1960. In 61, she performed in Jean Genet's play, The Black, along with Abby Lincoln, Roscoe Lee Brown, James Earl Jones, Louis Gossett, Godfrey Cambridge, and Cecily Tyson. Also that year, she met South African freedom fighter, Vusunzi Make. They never officially married. She and her son Guy moved with Make to Cairo, where she worked as an associate editor at the weekly English language newspaper, The Arab Observer. 
In 62, her relationship with him ended and she and Guy moved to Accra, Ghana so he could attend college, but he was seriously injured in an automobile accident. She remained in Accra for his recovery and ended up staying there until 1965, three years. She became the administrator of the University of Ghana and was active in the African-American expatriate community. She was a feature editor for the African Review, a freelance writer for the Ghanaian Times, wrote and broadcast for Radio Ghana, and worked and performed for Ghana's National Theater. She performed in a revival of the Blacks in Geneva and Berlin. In Accra, she also became close friends with Malcolm X during his visit in the early 60s. She returned to the U.S. in 65 to help him build a new civil rights organization, the Organization of Afro-American Unity. He was assassinated shortly after. Devastated in the drift, she joined her brother in Hawaii, where she resumed her singing career. She moved back to Los Angeles to focus on her writing, working as a market researcher in Watts. She witnessed the riots in the summer of 65. She acted in and wrote plays and returned to New York in 67. She met her lifelong friend, Rosa Guy, and renewed her friendship with James Baldwin, whom she had met in Paris in the 50s and called my brother during this time. Her friend, Jerry Purcell, provided Angelou with a stipend to support her writing. How nice is it to have someone support your dreams? In 68, Martin Luther King Jr. asked her to organize a march. She agreed, but postponed again and in what Gillespie calls a Maccabee twist of fate. He was assassinated on her 40th birthday. Devastated again, she was encouraged out of her depression by her friend James Baldwin. As Gillespie states, and if 1968 was a year of great pain, loss, and sadness, it was also the year when America first witnessed the breadth and depth of Maya Angelou's spirit and creative genius. Despite having almost no experience, she wrote, produced, and narrated Blacks, Blues, Black, a 10-part series of documentaries about the connection between blues music and Black America. Americans' African heritage, and what Angelou called the Africanisms still current in the U.S. For National Educational TV, the precursor of PBS. Also in 68, inspired at a dinner party she attended with Baldwin, cartoonist Jules Pfeiffer and his wife Judy, and challenged by Random House editor Robert Loomis, she wrote her first autobiography, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, published in 1969. This brought her international recognition and acclaim. Released in 1972, Angelou's Georgia, Georgia, produced by a Swedish film company and filmed in Sweden, was the first produced screenplay by a black woman. History maker over here. She also wrote the film's soundtrack, despite having very little additional input in the filming of the movie. She married Paul DeFeu, a Welsh carpenter and ex-husband of writer Jermaine Greer in San Francisco in 1973. Over the next 10 years, as Gillespie has stated, she had accomplished more than many artists hoped to achieve in a lifetime. Angelou worked as a composer, 
writer, writing for singer Roberta Flack and composing movie scores. She wrote articles, short stories, TV scripts, documentaries, autobiographies, and poetry. She produced plays and was named visiting professor at several colleges and universities. She was a reluctant actor and was nominated for a Tony Award in 1973 for her role in Look Away. As a theater director, in 1988, she undertook a revival of Errol John's play, Moon on a Rainbow Shawl, at the Almeida Theater in London. In 1977, Angelou appeared in a supporting role in the television miniseries, Roots. She was given a multitude of awards during this period, including more than 30 honorary degrees from colleges and universities all over the world. In the late 70s, Angelou met Oprah Winfrey when Winfrey was a TV anchor in Baltimore, Maryland. Angelou would later become Winfrey's close friend and mentor. In 1981, she was divorced again. She returned to the southern U.S. in 81 because she felt she had come to terms with her past there and despite having no bachelor's degree, accepted the Lifetime Reynolds Professorship of American Studies at Wake Forest University and Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where she was one of a few full-time African-American professors. From that point on, she considered herself a teacher who writes. Angelou taught a variety of, of subjects that reflected her interests, including philosophy, ethics, theology, science, theater, and writing. The Winston-Salem Journal reported that even though she made many friends on campus, she never quite lived down all of the criticism from people who thought she was more of a celebrity than an intellect and an overpaid figurehead. The last course she taught at Wake Forest was in 2011, but she was planning to teach another course late 2014. Her final speaking engagement at the university was in late 2013. Beginning in the 90s, she actively participated in the lecture circuit and a customized tour bus something she continued well into her 80s. In 93, she recited her poem on the Pulse of the Morning at Bill Clinton's presidential inauguration, making her the first poet to make an inaugural recitation since Robert Frost inaugurated, since Robert Frost did John F. Kennedy's inauguration in 1961. Her recitation resulted in more fame and recognition for her previous works and broadened her appeal across racial, economic, and educational boundaries. The recording of the poem won a Grammy Award. In June of 1995, she delivered what Richard Long called her second public poem entitled, A Brave and Startling Truth, which commemorated the 50th anniversary of the United Nations. She achieved her goal of directing a feature film in 1996, Down in the Delta, which featured actors such as Alfred Woodard and Wesley Snipes. Also in 96, she collaborated with R&B artists Ashford and Simpson on seven of the 11 tracks of their album, Been Found. The album was responsible for three of Angela's only Billboard chart appearances. In 2000, she created a successful collection of products Hallmark, including greeting cards and decorative household items. She responded to critics who charged her with being too commercial by stating that the enterprise was perfectly in keeping with her role as the people's poet. 
More than 30 years after she began writing her life story, she completed her sixth autobiography, A Song Flung Up to Heaven, in 2002. How many people do you know have six autobiographies? Angelou campaigned for the Democratic Party in 2008 presidential primaries, giving her public support to Hillary Clinton and the run-up to the January Democratic Party in South Carolina, the Clinton campaign ran ads featuring Angelou's endorsement. The ads were part of the campaign's effort to rally support in the black community, but Obama won the South Carolina primary, finishing 29 points ahead of Clinton and taking 80% of the black vote. When Clinton's campaign ended, Angelou put her support behind Obama, who went on to win the presidential election and became the first African-American president of the United States. After Obama's inauguration, she stated, we are growing up beyond the idiocies of racism and sexism. In late 2010, Angelou donated her personal papers and career memorabilia to the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. They consisted of more than 340 boxes of documents that featured her handwritten notes on yellow legal pads for I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, a 1982 telegram for Coretta Scott King, fan mail and personal and professional correspondence from colleagues such as her editor, Robert Loomis. In 2011, Angelou served as a consultant for the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial in Washington, D.C., she spoke out in opposition to a paraphrase of a quotation by King that appeared on Memorial saying, the quote makes Dr. Martin Luther King look like an arrogant twit and demanded that it be changed. Eventually, the paraphrase was removed. In 2013, at the age of 85, Angelou published the seventh volume of autobiography in her series entitled Mom and Me and Mom, which focuses on her relationship with her mother. So in the late 50s, Maya Angelou joined the Harlem Writers Guild with the guidance of her friend James Baldwin. She began to work on her book that will become I Know Why the Cage Burst Sings. And it received international acclaim and made the bestsellers list. The book was also banned in many schools during that time because of her honesty with being sexually abused, being opened a subject matter that had been a long taboo in the culture. Later, it would become a course adoption at college campuses around the world. With more than 30 bestselling titles, she has written 36 books. This woman is a powerhouse in her own right. Now, it is only fair to hear from the woman herself. So, we are going to listen to Miss Maya speak. But she she is definitely um, an inspiration me personally, she is someone who I have admired for a very long time, someone that I wanted to meet before she passed away. Unfortunately, that can't happen now, but her legacy lives on, and I am grateful for all that she's done to um, to make it happen. All right, so...
here is Miss Maya Angela. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high. Still I rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes. Shoulders falling down like teardrops. Weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling and bearing in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, there I go. grateful to be, have been loved and to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates love liberates it doesn't just hold that's ego love liberates when uh, when my son was born I was 17 my mother had a huge house, 14-room house. At 17, I went to her and said, I'm leaving. She asked me, you're leaving my house? And she had live-in help. I said, yes, I found a job, and I've got a room with cooking privileges down the hall, and the landlady will be the babysitter. She asked me, you're leaving my house? I said, yes, ma'am, and you're taking the baby? I said, yes. She said, all right, remember this. When you step over my door sill, you've been raised. You know the difference between right and wrong. Do right. Don't let anybody raise you and make you change. And remember this, you can always come home. I went home every time life slammed me down and made me call it uncle. I went home with my baby. My mother never once acted as I told you so. She said, oh, baby's home. Oh, my darling, mommy's going to cook you something. Mother's going to make this for you. Love. She liberated me to life. 
She continued to do that. When uh, my son may have been five years old, my mother uh, would pick him up all the time and feed him. And I went to her once a month, and she would cook for me. So one day I went to her house, and she'd cooked red rice, which I loved. After we finished eating, we walked down the hill, and she started across the street. She said, wait a minute, baby. I was 22 years old. She said, wait a minute, baby. You know, I think you're the greatest woman I've ever met. She said, Mary McLeod Bethune, Eleanor Roosevelt, and my mother, you're in that category. Then she said, give me a kiss. I gave her a kiss, and I got onto the streetcar. I can remember the way the sun fell on the slats of the wooden seats. I sat there, and I thought about her. I thought, suppose she's right. She's intelligent. And she's, she says she's too mean to lie. So suppose I am going to be somebody. She released me. She freed me to say I may have something in me that would be of value. Maybe not just to me. See? That's love. she was in her final sickness, I went out to San Francisco. And the doctor said she had three, three weeks to live. I asked her, would you come to North Carolina? She said, yes. She had emphysema and lung cancer. I brought her to my home. She lived for a year and a half. And when she was finally, finally, in extremists. She was on oxygen and finding cancer for her life. And I remembered her liberating me. And I said, I hope I'll be able to liberate her. She deserved that from me. She deserved a great daughter and she got one. So in her last days, I said, now, I understand that some people need permission to go. As I understand it, you may have done what God put you here to do. You were a great worker. You must have been a great uh, lover, because a lot of men, and if I'm not wrong, maybe a couple of women, risked their lives to love you. You were a piss-poor mother of small children. But you were a great, great mother of young adults. And if you need permission to go, I liberate you. I went back to my house and something said, go back. I was in my pajamas. I jumped in my car and ran. And the nurse said, she's just gone. You see, love liberates. It doesn't bind. Love says, I love you. I love you if you're in China. I love you if you cross town. I love you if you're in Harlem. I love you. I would like to be near you. I'd like to have your arms around me. I'd like to hear your voice in my ear. But that's not possible now. So I love you. Go. All right. And that was Maya Angelou, everyone. I hope you got all the gems that she put down. I hope you enjoyed 
her artistry, her as a woman, her as a visionary, a revolutionary, and a legend in her own right. Well, that's all for today. Until next time. All right, listeners, you've heard it here first. Now it's time to use what you've learned. I'm talking about those gems. Make sure you pick them up, pass it on, and use them time and time again. Stay tuned for more, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Season 2's 13th episode of Intellects, a place for entrepreneurs. Next episode, you are in for a treat. We'll be doing a season recap, going over everything that we've talked about thus far. You definitely don't want to miss it. Thank you for taking in all these artistic gems. Until next time, my friends.